Today with Catherine Ruinala. We've been looking at um, this beautiful prayer in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to turn, me, turn there with me, you're welcome. Um, you can read this prayer in Matthew 6, in Luke 11, but it's absolutely beautiful. And the disciples had been watching Jesus. They'd been seeing how he would go away and pray. He had this relationship with the Father that was just remarkable. The only begotten Son, not, not a created Son, but one who God himself had brought his seed to earth and he had become a man and he walked the earth as a man, yet relating to the Father in a way that these disciples had never seen before. They, they knew the forms of how to pray, they knew you know, um, we could pray the scripture and, and so on, but they never saw what they saw with Jesus in the, the intimate relationship, the way that he spoke with the Father was so new to them that they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. How do you do this? How do you have that connection with the Father like you do? Because Jesus would pray with so much confidence They'd see him raise the dead and heal the sick. They'd see the way that he would just so confidently approach the Father without any fear or with any doubt. And they said, I wanna know how to do that. Teach us how to pray. So he said this. He says in verse nine of chapter six, pray then in this way. In other words, what he's saying is not just pray these words verbatim. He was saying, in this pattern, pray, what he was meaning. After this, after this way, in this way, according to this pattern, pray. And he was giving us a template to pray. It's not a formula that you have to follow, but it's a powerful, powerful pattern that helps us pray the prayer of faith. And he says, so in this pattern, pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he tells us to start, start like this, our Father, as in the Father you see me praying to, the way that I relate to him is the way that you can relate to him. The same relationship that Jesus had as he would approach the Father on earth as a man, he says you and I can now come into that same place of relationship. When I approach him and say, our Father, I'm saying, Father, just the way Jesus would talk to the Father when he was on the earth. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And he encouraged them to think about God of the universe, to glorify him. Hallowed means to set apart as unique. And he did this deliberately. He didn't say, when you pray, tell me first all the things that concern you though they're normally the things that are top of our mind. But if we were to approach him with the things that were top of mind straight away, it wouldn't be a prayer of faith. It would be a prayer of desperation, a prayer of stress and fear and worry. And instead, he wanted to help us get our minds fixed on things above, help us remember who we're talking to, Help us as the glory and the lifter of our head to behold the majesty of the Father so that when we see him, 
we remember we're not orphans trying to get God to do something for us, but we are approaching God who is our Father, who is the maker of heaven and earth. So when I pray I, I, and I begin our Father, I, I like to think about the Father from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, as, as it, um, Paul prays in Ephesians 3. My Father, our Father, who has named me, has put his name on me, our Father who loves me, our Father who has adopted me, received me, accepted me, our Father who is in heaven. I, I think about the throne room and the, the glory of heaven, eternity, hallelujah. Hallowed be your name. And I begin to sing to him. I sing him little songs that I wrote when I was young. I sing him, sing him things like, you are holy, you are worthy of all praise. Or I'll sing, you are wonderful, God. You are worthy, you are altogether lovely. There is no one like you. These aren't just words. I used to struggle with that concept of worship. Like, why does God want us to come and tell him how great he is all the time? I, I couldn't get it. Like, why would you do why? I don't understand it. But when I really began to understand relationship, I realized it's not about telling him how great he is. It's about us beholding his greatness in faith, expressing our wonder and our awe so that our hearts become filled afresh with the revelation that he, the creator of heaven and earth, is delighting to talk with me. The one who set the stars in their place, the one who makes the sunrise, the moon, the one who brings life into my body, the one who gives me breath, the one who created everything, who has the uncreated, only true God, God of heaven and earth, has my full attention and wants to talk with me. Hallowed be his name. And worship just flows, wow. And as we worship him, suddenly all the frets and the worries and the stresses that are top of mind before come into the right perspective. They're no longer the big thing. God is the big thing. And these are just little things that he is able to sort out. Hallelujah. So he says, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked a lot about that. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. You know, God not only doesn't mind us asking, he actually says you have not because you ask not. He tells us in Ephesians chapter four, not to be anxious about anything but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, to make our requests known to God. And the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. In other words, he wants us to talk to him about everything. He wants to hear our voice. He wants us to ask. But in starting to talk about this idea of give us this day our daily bread, when we are coming out of the place of hallowing his name, glorifying him, recognizing his majesty, the authority that we have as those that are ruling and reigning with him, seated with him in heavenly places. Now when I come to ask, I can ask in faith, 
knowing I am asking the one who is glorious. And we ask him to bless us. The Bible delights to talk about blessing. Some people get very nervous. Oh, you know, I don't wanna ask about blessing. I just want you to be glorified. God wants to bless us. In fact, in Numbers chapter six, we read that beautiful ironic prayer, the ironic blessing there. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When we're asking, give us this day our daily bread, we're asking for blessing. We're asking for his help. We're asking him to provide for us. You think about what bread is in the scripture. Bread is not just a dry crust. He's talking about everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. He's talking about everything that he wants to supply according to his riches in glory, which is more than just a dry crust. Hallelujah. Bread is talked about as, you know, the healing is, the healing is the children's bread. So bread is healing. He talks about bread. He says, this is my body. When he talks about bread, the body of Christ, there is everything we need is available for us if we'll only begin to ask in faith for what he wants to give us. And so I began to think about this, this concept of blessing and the Lord's intent and desire to bless us. A good friend of mine, Warren Marcus, wrote a beautiful book on um, Numbers 6. We had some beautiful discussions about it in Israel when he was writing it, and I had the privilege of endorsing his book. But as a, a Messianic Jew, he had a really wonderful insight into the Hebrew meanings of these words. And where it says, the Lord bless you, he brought out you know, if you look at that word in Hebrew, to bless is actually literally translated to kneel, which seems really strange. It's the same word that's used when um, the camels are all brought uh, to Isaac and laden and they're made to kneel down. That same word where the camels kneel down is the same word used, the Lord bless you, to kneel. Well, that's a bit of an unusual word, but it's, it's so profound and so beautiful. If you think about it like this, the Lord bless you. When we come to ask God, God isn't sitting on a throne distant from us waiting to see whether or not he'll strike us dead or grant us our petition. We sort of get that idea though. Yet God, who is enthroned in majesty, who is all glorious, is surrounded by the emerald rainbow, he himself makes himself accessible to us. It, it, it's beautiful when you think about it like this. Imagine a six foot four father coming home from work and he's got little toddlers and he comes home from work he gets down in the lounge room, gets down on his knees like this. What's he doing? It's an invitation. It's making himself accessible to his children. He's getting down on the same level as them so that they can run into his arms. And this is the very picture of what it is for the Lord to bless us. 
Hi friends. For so many years, I lived with condemnation, frustrated that I didn't fully measure up. Then the Holy Spirit began to reveal the truth that I was loved, set free, and defined by the performance of Jesus, not by my good works. Such a basic truth, but I didn't really understand it. Let me help you fully grasp the goodness of God and how He's designed us to live supernaturally as new creations. Imagine if you were truly supernaturally free from sin and shame, free to follow the desires that God's placed in your heart. In my new book, Supernatural Freedom, I give you simple keys to unlock the freedom that you were designed to live in every day. Jesus, what did he do for his disciples? He knelt down, put a towel around his waist, and he washed their feet. What did the Father do when he was creating man and woman out of the dust? What did, what, what did he do when he created Adam? He knelt down and breathed into his nostrils. God, glorious God of the universe, humbled himself as a man and made himself accessible to us to the point of giving his life for us so that the veil would be torn and we could boldly approach Father. In recognizing this glorious invitation, God is waiting for us to respond. So that when we approach God to begin to say, give us this day our daily bread, he doesn't want us standing at a distance and thinking, Please, Father, please do something for me. Think again about the picture of, a, of the Father down on the carpet. When he's down on his knees, his little ones have access to his face. They get to have a close-up look at the Father's eyes. They're not just looking up his nostrils. They get to see him face to face. And the heart of God is that when we are asking, that having worshiped him, having magnified his name, having remembered that he's invited us up to sit with him in heavenly places, revealing to us his will, inviting us to decree on earth what is in heaven, his will being done, this same father comes to us and says, I want to bless you. If you look then at the extended meaning of that Hebrew word, it actually means to do or to give something of value to another. So to kneel down and to give something of value is the meaning of the word bless. Our Father who is in heaven, who is altogether glorious, who created the heavens and the earth, comes near to us to make himself accessible and to give us a gift. When we understand that, asking God for help is no longer something we're ashamed of. It's something that we are overwhelmed with delight about. And it makes me, at least, when I think of this picture, it makes me want to get on my knees and put my arms out and receive. Receiving is a place of humility because it takes humility to receive what you can have no means of earning. 
Now, I don't want to ever be one of those that say I'm rich and full and have need of nothing. I'm right, mate, no worries. Yet sometimes people even get that attitude without realizing they've got it. Well, you know, I don't want to trouble God with too much. I just, I need a bit of help with that, but you know, I'll be right otherwise. You know, everybody else needs some help. As though he was somehow limited. He says, according to his riches in glory, he wants to bless you. It's very humbling because it, it doesn't sort of sit comfortably. You think, well, but, but, but I haven't earned it. I don't deserve it. Why would God want to extravagantly bless me according to the riches of his glory? And we've just thought about heaven. The streets and the buildings are made of solid gold. So he is not saying, I'll give you a little crust to get you by so you can survive. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Give us this day our daily bread. As we approach him and we begin to ask, there is nothing you can ask that he wouldn't delight to open his heart towards you. Because having come to worship him, to hallow him, to honor him, you remember, oh, praise God, it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. I have the mind of Christ. Therefore, I'm not motivated by selfish desire. I am redeemed. I read a beautiful quote by Hudson Taylor um, today, and he's famous for saying that God's work done God's way will always have God's provision. Hallelujah. And that's the truth, that we can have absolute confidence. Like, I have to come before the Lord, and I, I, I've got a long list of things to ask. Lord, I need help. We've got television now, and every week, more invitations to be on, more stations come. So, Lord, I'm asking for provision for that. Thank you for it, yay, hallelujah. And I can have confidence, I'm not asking selfishly, but knowing God's work done, God's way will have God's provision. But I have not because I ask not, so I bring this request before you. These people are asking if we can go on their, their channel. God, we need provision for that, so Lord, I bring this request to you. Lord, provide for us so that we can do that and get your word out across the world, hallelujah. Or I come to him and I bring to him my unsaved relatives. And I can have absolute confidence. The word of God tells me that it's his desire, his will, that none should perish. So I can have confidence as I come before him. Lord, it's your will that they would not perish. So Lord, I'm crying out for my father. I'm crying out for my brother, my sister. I'm crying out for my nephew or whoever we're praying for. And we can have confidence knowing that it's absolutely the will of God to do that. And our prayers aren't just making us feel better. Our prayers are powerful. The Bible says, the effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So much happens when we pray, not from a place of, oh, please, God, please do something, but from a place of, here I am in your arms. 
Oh, Daddy, my God, my God, that I can approach boldly because of the sacrifice of Jesus. My God, who humbled himself and made himself accessible to me. I run into your arms right now and I say, Lord, I need help here. And he helps. He says he is our ever-present help in time of need. It's an invitation waiting for our response. But unless we respond, we miss out on the beauty of that glorious invitation. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, the natural thing when you imagine again a father on the floor with his arms out, the natural next step is that as this little one sees the father coming down to their level, putting his arms out, they're gonna run towards him. And the father's not gonna go, what are you doing? Why are you here? He's not gonna ask them, have you, have you been good? Have you been good? Like, have you behaved really well today? No, his natural instinct is just to wrap his arms immediately around that child. I, I would come home um, when my son Joseph was little, and if I'd left him with um, my mom or someone, I, and I'd come home, I wouldn't be stopping at the door as Joseph runs towards me because he was a really affectionate little kid, still is, praise the Lord, 19, he still jumps into my lap, which I love, praise the Lord. But he'd come, and he'd come with these big blue eyes, this blonde hair, and he'd say, Mama, up, cuddles. And I can tell you right now, there is no way this mother went, well, hang on, let me just ask if you've been good. My first response is to absolutely wrap my arms around him, pick him up, cuddle him, tell him how much I love him. And then if there's anything that needed to be dealt with or sorted out, we could do that later while he's sitting on my lap. Yet sometimes we picture that God is not even as loving as we are. God was shown to us by Jesus. The Father was demonstrated to us by Jesus, who was the friend of sinners. By Jesus who said, this is what the Father is like. And he told the story of the prodigal son, who, full of shame, full of embarrassment, started toward home, thinking, well, I know I, I've blown it, he, I should never... I'll never be able to be back in the place of acceptance that I was, but he's a good man. Maybe at least he'll give me a job. But the moment the father saw him from a long way off, he ran towards his son, wrapped his arms around him, scooped his big son up, wrapped his arms around him, started calling for a, a robe and ring and shoes and a party. And he didn't even ask him, are you sorry for what you've done? But the goodness and kindness of the father led to repentance, broke the, broke the son's heart and said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father, he just kept celebrating, let's have a party, my son who was lost is now found, he's here. Jesus said, this is my father your father, 
our Father. So if you've ever had a day where you've been a bit ashamed of your behavior, or you've felt a bit ashamed of your reaction or your attitude, you can have confidence that as you start toward home going, here I am to worship, feeling like a hypocrite, don't even know why I'm bothering or God. The father's there going, there you are, come here, I'm just so happy to see you. And it makes no sense to us. We think surely he should be cranky with me a bit. Yet he doesn't because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same father that Jesus described in that story of the prodigal son. He is that same nature and attitude towards you, whether you were saved today, 10 years ago, and whether, no matter what the circumstances, the moment you begin to approach him, the father is absolutely running towards you to wrap his arms around you and kiss you. You see, it may seem so simple, yet the enemy, human thinking, and even religion can try to complicate that and make you feel that if you're not feeling holy, don't be a hypocrite and approach God. Sort yourself out before you dare worship God. Who do you think you are? But the Holy Spirit would like to remind you that having received Jesus as your savior, he dwells within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You abide in him. You have been made part of his body and he will not disown his own flesh. And when he looks at you, he doesn't see you a hypocrite, ashamed. He looks at you and says, my son, my daughter, come here. And he knows that anything that needs to be sorted out can be well and truly looked after while you're sitting on his lap. 